Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Alan and Aaron Sportsbook. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Alan and Aaron. Good evening, everybody. It's Friday, February 18th, 2022. It is the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Podcast, and we are excited to have you with us here tonight as we are going to be uh, diving into the latest in the world of sports. Uh, a lot of stuff to get to here tonight. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, our thoughts on how the Super Bowl went. Uh, we've got the Day 2500 coming up here on Sunday. We've also got uh, some news, or lack thereof, on Major League Baseball and the continued lockout for now basically two and a half months. And, of course, we're right around the corner from March Madness with uh, the NCAA basketball uh, tournaments uh, getting ready to start. So a lot of great things to get to here tonight. But, of course, we can't have the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast without Allen, of course, being with us. So Allen is here with us now. Allen, good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Really glad to be here. Thank you, Aaron. Great to be back here again tonight. I know you're excited because you are going to be in Daytona uh, tomorrow, which is Saturday, and then of course for the big uh, big race on Sunday, the Daytona 500. And this is your first experience with NASCAR, so you're going to be uh, be watching and hearing cars that are going by you at over 200 miles an hour. What, what are your um, what, what is your first impression of that? Hearing that since you haven't been to a race before. I'm excited, but also a little like, like, hey, a little nervous because you're like, where am I supposed to be standing at? Or is, is one of these tires going to fly off and hit me? You know, you worry <laughs> about those things. <laughs> and But at the same token, I'm very excited because it is going to be a new experience for me. I've never been to NASCAR. I have been to an Indy race here in St. Petersburg. I actually ran it to Danica Patrick, but I've never been to a NASCAR 5. Uh, Daytona 500, nothing as grand and big as this, and it's supposed to be a great, great, great uh, weekend this whole week. Yeah, this is really the time where Daytona becomes essentially one of the busiest places in the United States. I mean, it's not uh, nearly as big as you know New York or LA or anything like that, but as far as the attraction there, it's the the premier place to be right now. You have all the uh, qualifying going on. You have all the smaller races. Uh, it's race week. And if you drive through Daytona two weeks from now, or if you drove through Daytona two weeks ago, you can pretty much get to town very quickly. Right now, if you go uh, through Daytona, if you go down International Boulevard or International Speedway Boulevard, uh, which is, uh, I believe, US 92 or 1792, um, it'll take you a while. <laughs> there are are probably over a million people there, maybe a million and a half people in the area right now. So it's a fun place to be. It's very popular. There's a ton of stuff to do there. You could spend the entire week there and really not see everything. So you are in for, I would say, a big treat. Uh, I got the uh, good fortune of going two years ago to my first 500. Unfortunately, about 25 laps in, uh, Mother Nature decided to wreak her havoc, and I couldn't make it back for the remainder of the race the next day, which also had some rain involved in it as well. Uh, but you're going to be in great shape. A lot of fun. Definitely take a lot of pictures, meet a lot of people. Um, 
embrace everything there because it's a lot of fun and everybody's there for the same reason to have fun. So you'll, you'll really fit right in. I think it'll be a great, uh, a great experience. And, um, it's always a great experience on our show. I know Alan, you feel the same way when our good buddy Lou from New Jersey comes on and, uh, Lou, um, want to bring him on here this evening. Thanks. Lou, how are you tonight? All right. And they tell us he's going to be all the racing spurs of the Super Bowl, even though it starts at the beginning of the season and not the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> Go figure that out. That's what I've been told. Yeah, I, I did want to say thank you to NASCAR for providing Alan and Aaron's Sports Talk Radio show, you know, full media access right. and giving us an opportunity to be at Radio Row. So I will be there reporting live actually from Daytona Beach. So I'm excited. And like, I just, I know we're going to do a great job. It's just, I just, man, it's one of those things that you like the pressure a little bit is on you because you want to make sure you, you come and deliver. You don't sure. underachieve. But I think we're going to do a fantastic job. And, and I'm looking forward, forward to a fantastic time. For those who don't know, Charles Woodson will be the Grand Marshal. And just, yeah. I wanted to get his opinion on that. When you when someone is selected, Aaron or Lou, to be the Grand Marshal, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it takes something special to become the uh, Grand Master. You know, it's a highly, that's a prestigious honor to be uh, the Grand Master of, of that type of event. Wow! Wow! Yeah, I know, just it, watched... it is. It is something special. It's kind of like. Um you know, flipping the coin toss at the Super Bowl or uh-huh. throwing out the first pitch at a World Series game, you know, there's there's typically a, a something you've done in your career as an athlete or, you know, former president, something along those lines that they got you that uh, that honor. And, you know, um, yes. I think uh, I want to say the Grand Marshal several years ago, I want to say Chipper Jones was there at one point because he's from that same area. He's from – within an hour of Daytona. So I believe he was there one year as I Grand Marshal. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, was. I think, uh, yeah, he, he was, yep. He's a big so racing fan. He was. Yeah, he, he is. He is. Just because he's from uh, – he's actually from DeLand, which um, from a geography perspective is only about a 20-minute ride down, uh, down the highway from the racetrack there. So – I'm sure, you know, back in the 80s when he was growing up, he's, he's probably someone who's been to to, uh, to the Speedway many a time. So, and, and that's the exciting thing about, about this weekend and this coming up week is that you never know who you're going to run into. There's going to be a – there is a lot of racing fans there. You know, you can run into Michael Jordan and Pitbull. They both are co-owners to one of yeah. the, to the teams. It's very it's, – I know if I co-owned the team in Daytona 500, I would be there. That's just me. If my yes. schedule allowed, I would be there. So I I anticipate, and speaking of that, you know, Pitbull was the Grand Marshal last year. So it's one of those things that is very probable they'll be there. And, you know, Charles Woodson will be there. He's he's <laughs> he's uh, the Grand Marshal this year. And it, it looks like it, it's so many things that are going on, fans, Q&A. Bubba Wallace is doing a Q&A at the fan zone. And, I'm very excited, and I'm just hoping everyone's at the right place at the right time. Yeah, it'll be one of those things where you'll you'll probably you know not even realize you're going to run into somebody, and bang, there they are right behind you, right next to you. And 
you know, you got to be prepared for, <laughs> you know, the questions that you might have or, you know, just off the cuff things that may happen uh, while you're there. It's a neat place. Like I said, two years ago, I'd been to a number of the uh, Coke Zero 400s, which go on usually in either July or August in the past. And uh, two years ago, 2020, uh, hard to believe it's already been that long ago, but um, got the opportunity to go to the 500. Two, two years has gone by pretty quick. So, um, but I, I got the opportunity to go and just hearing some of the names, people who are around me in the stands or down in the infield as they were, um, you know, uh, showcasing all the drivers coming across stage for the introductions. Really neat event. I mean, uh, there's a lot of famous people there. And there's probably even more famous people there that they don't actually announce. They just happen to be somewhere in the stands uh, during the race. Yeah, that's exciting. And, and as far yeah. as the crowd of people, is there when you since you've been there a couple of years, is there like somebody standing right next to you? Is it like a big mass of people? As far as yeah, fans, sure there is. From, from what, from as what far as fans, like when you're going to different like parts of the Daytona 500, is it? super crowded like that where you're elbow to elbow of people or everybody kind of moves around um i had the opportunity about six hmm. years ago to be on the uh basically on i had pit passes uh through my brother-in-law actually uh formerly was on a uh on a uh nascar team and got us uh, me and my wife passes and you're kind of people go where they want to go they, they they'll, they'll flock to what's around them and i remember there's a few drivers that had had uh, made their way into that part of the the racetrack area and it just is one of those things it's kind of like going to a, a spring training game you know for oh, you and wow. i who've been to those over the years somebody famous is walking around and you see a crowd of people flock to them so it's going to be that same kind of thing there just on a much <laughs> larger scale wow that's yeah. exciting so you've been there too lou no, I never have. I'm sorry I haven't gone there. But then again, it doesn't really grab much part, you know, here in this part of the country as it is uh, in the south. Yeah, uh, definitely. And it, that's, it's a big thing. It, you know, for those who don't know, it, it was hard for me to get a hotel room. I was very lucky I found one because yeah. almost everything was sold out. And on top of that, the venue actually sold out. They said that a couple of days ago, I saw it popped up on Facebook. All tickets are sold out. So you may have to get it off a scalper or buy it off someone on StubHub, but it is completely sold out. Yeah. Well, I'm looking for people with uh, NASCAR knowledge to join the show tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because I could use it. Okay. Well, speaking of that, how did you – we'll talk about that, I guess, now, guys. Uh, What did you guys think of the Super Bowl? Your overall thoughts. We'll start with you, Lou. The only thing that disappointed me is that it wasn't a higher score. Everything else uh, went exactly as I thought it was going to go, with time of possession, uh, close game all throughout and whatnot. So it almost was exactly as I thought, thought that the score was going to be higher, more offense. And you, Aaron? Um, I thought it went really almost exactly as I thought it would, a close game, you know, which I think the nice thing about it is we've seen some blowout Super Bowls in the past where – you know, midway yeah. through the third quarter, people are, are turning things off. So, uh, you know, this game literally came down to the final possession. Um, didn't go the way I wanted it to. Um, I'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But uh, as far as a competitive game, which I think is what everybody's always rooting for, it was definitely yeah. a very competitive game. Yeah, it and was. It's 1989 for the Bengals again. 
<laughs> yeah, it definitely was a competitive game. It was it was a, on the lower side of scoring. It wasn't a whole lot of offense, which is what we no. pretty much had predicted. And we talked about it on the show. I thought it was going to be a low scoring. It was going to be some scoring, not like 10 to 7 or something like that, but in the low 20s. And that's pretty much where the score was at. It was a low scoring game, very competitive. I, I did really thoroughly enjoy the, the halftime show. I know there was the majority of people seem like they enjoyed it. But if, you, if you're not into that type of music, then you probably wouldn't enjoy it. But I really, really enjoyed the halftime yeah. show. I thought it was amazing. I thought they did a, a really, really awesome job. I thought it was going to be very good. Prior to it, prior to the Super Bowl starting, it actually was an awesome, an awesome Super Bowl show. I, I thought I put it in there to one of the top three, and I really enjoyed it. It was really cool to see some of the great music that I grew up with in the in the '90s coming back and being just as popular now as it was back then. You know, compliments to Dr. Dre, Eminem, the whole crew. They did a fantastic job. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed the Super Bowl. I thought it was it was it was great overall. It wasn't the outcome I predicted. I did thought that the Bengals were gonna win the game. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And the Bengals really should have won this game, but we'll talk about that more. But it was an uh-huh. awesome Super Bowl. What are your thoughts, Lou? It was it was on the Super Bowl. You know, close throughout. It got to a slow start, though, you know, in the first quarter. Mm, well, knowing the way it's been this day, you know, it's not surprising at all. It usually does start slow and then uh, pick up speed later on. So I guess I shouldn't be too surprised about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I wasn't expecting a blowout on either either side. So it, it was definitely a, a close competitive game. I mean, that's what, that's really what you want. You really don't want to blow out. Yeah. It was very close game. And so, Lou, what do you got cooking for your show this weekend? Well, let's see. Well, like I said, I need some NASCAR uh, experts, so hopefully someone will join in. Hopefully you will. Uh, we'll wrap up the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll go through all the NBA All-Star Weekend because it's happening right now. We'll we'll take all through, all through it. Um, we'll talk about the lack of the uh, MLB baseball talk, which seems to be going absolutely nowhere at this point. I don't think they will. I mean, they've already pushed back spring training, uh, what, uh, a year and a half now? Um, so, we'll, <laughs> yeah. Contrary to that, oh, boy. You, well, you get the idea. Uh, maybe yeah. we'll touch on some uh, NHL for um, for a little bit. There's not too much going on. Uh, the trade deadline isn't for another month yet. So, I was – but I'm sure I can come up with um, with something. So, it should be a – very interesting, very interesting show. Uh, I thought I had something else here too, but uh, we got we got a whole stack full. We got a whole stack full yeah. of information for tomorrow. It's five to seven p.m. of course on tomorrow. Number to call is five one two five four three four six six two. Number again five one two five four three four six six two. Oh yeah, so we'll also cover the Olympics as well because that's still going on. Unfortunately, I'm not happy with a lot of the results, but I'll save that for a comments tomorrow. <laughs> no problem. So that's Lou, yeah. the Enhanced Sports Show, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Zone, 512-543-4662, right. 512-543-4662. Make sure you guys call in, talk about NASCAR, you know, support his show. 
I will be in Daytona, so I can't, I probably won't be able to call in because I will be at Raider Road during that time. And I, I really don't know what to expect myself. So make sure you guys call in. And, and, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be exciting for me and definitely something that I'll be able to talk more about on our next show, the whole experience and the whole gamut. But definitely make sure you guys call in and support Lou. And I'll try to give a call in next Saturday. All right, but definitely All right, we appreciate it. Awesome. Okay. We tremendously appreciate you, Lou. Thanks, fellas. All right. Yep, thanks See for coming on. Week. All right. Take care. All that's, right, that's our good buddy, Lou. Thank you again for joining us here tonight. So, um, yeah, no, uh, definitely, uh, you know, this is a big weekend, and, and really NASCAR takes the – center stage with uh it going on right now football season's over um obviously we just heard him talk about how they are still at a standstill with the lock uh lockout which uh is just most unfortunate um i a week ago had a lot of faith and a lot of confidence that they were going to come together on you know some sort of agreement and unfortunately it looks like they haven't really made any progress at all i know they've agreed to a few things that they will apparently stick to, but as far as getting a result that's going to, you know, get them out on the diamond right now, we're still a little ways away from that, which I just, I find that to be absolutely um, very disheartening. This started at the uh, 4th of December, so we're two and a half months into this, and now it's going to continue, it looks like, for at least a little bit longer. Yeah, that is very disappointing. I was shocked when I saw the news. I was in the same boat with you about being optimistic. That was the All Pro Dad uh, lesson of the week, which I'll talk about a bit later. But the word was optimistic, optimism. And I was very optimistic that Major League Baseball was going to actually, since they agreed to the DH, some of those details I felt were actually, in my opinion, I felt a little bit more difficult to agree to a universal DH. They did seem to agree with that. It looked like it was moving in the right direction. A week, not even a week later, they announced officially today that they are pushing back the start of spring training to March 5th, which when I see things like this happening, it's usually not a good sign because when people get comfortable at being idle, it's very hard to kickstart that momentum. And I'm hoping I'm wrong, but this does not look good. And Already missing some of the spring training games is kind of like being in Florida, not a good thing because you get a chance, the fans get a chance to actually get tickets, some, I guess somewhat cheaper, but you get a chance to get access to the players that you normally wouldn't get during the season. And it's very disheartening. This is one of the things about baseball that's really frustrating is that, I mean, you lost a lot of the season the year before because of COVID. I know that had to hit your pocket somewhat. And then we're back at you having a, work stoppage think about think about that for a moment so i want to get your thoughts aaron on that alone like the fact that we might have a stoppage well i mean look at the trickle down effect of how this impacts um you know not just the players i mean look at somebody like max scherzer who signed a three-year 120 million dollar contract with the mets over the offseason that's basically 40 million a year if you do the math None of these guys are getting paid. All these guys that's on these big, huge contracts, they're not getting anything. And if the season gets shortened by 
15 or 20 games or what have you, then it's going to be a prorated amount as compared to what they would have made in a normal year. The, the biggest thing that I think that, that, and I've said this several times, it's the trickle-down effect to, look, if there are, like, you and I as an example, if we don't, you know, post things on our Facebook page or, um, you know, put things out there that we're going to be doing in the community or who we might be talking to on our show, then it's just two guys sitting here talking sports on a Friday night to nobody, right? We, we have to have fans in order to have a show. We, you know, we're not just doing this for, for, uh, for ourselves. I mean, it is fun for ourselves for sure. Same thing with the, the game of baseball. If you don't have the fans, then you don't have a game. No one, no one cares if there's no fans. So I look at it from the perspective of, you know, the players and the owners, more importantly, have really lost their, their touch with the fans. And I think the biggest thing is this. You mentioned spring training in Florida, which is a big money business. I live in Lakeland. The Detroit Tigers train here in Lakeland. You live over near Tampa. So you've got the Yankees there in Tampa. You've got the Blue Jays in Dunedin. Uh, the uh, Phillies are in Clearwater, a little bit further down south from where you are. You've got the uh, Orioles in Sarasota and, of course, the, Ori- uh, the uh, Pirates in, in um, Bradenton. And, of course, you can continue down the coast there for the other teams that are here. So my point to that is what, what impact financially and, and economically is it making on these communities and these small businesses or these vendors that get a huge boost for that one month of the year in March, late, late, late February into late March. And now, you know, they're, they're, they're wondering, Hey, are we going to get anything this year? And this is a, a year after we had a normal spring training schedule a year ago, 2021, but it was a spring training schedule where they only allowed about maybe a third the fans to come into the games. And then the previous year, spring training essentially got shut down in the middle of it. So, you know, this is the third year in a row. And I, I really think that at this point, you may have a lot of these vendors that say, screw baseball. I'm not going to come back. If they're going to treat me like this. If they're going to act like it doesn't matter to them that I'm here to help them out. They'll take their money and their business to go somewhere else. And I think baseball deserves that, honestly. I think it's a shame that we've had, let's see, if I'm doing my math right here, we're two and a half months in. So we're at coming up on 80 days into this lockout. And I just think it's an, a, 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 it's a shame that they haven't been able to go to the table, stay at the table till you come up with an agreement. Don't sit here and – you know, don't don't sit here and, well, a week a week from now we're going to go and talk for 15 minutes and then we're going to get up and leave. It just it just seems really p- pathetic to me, and I, I blame both the owners and the players union for not being able to find a, a common ground and move forward. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I wish I could say something that was more optimistic, but I just is this and there's no excuse. You know, we have Zoom, we have ways you communicate where if somebody's worried about catching something you have zoom plenty of ways to communicate and they cannot come with an agreement that is you know somewhat feasible for both it just it just the mind is mind-boggling to me because to me when's enough enough you know i i said this before like okay you you have millions of dollars you have billions of dollars i mean how much money do you need what about blessing the community like you said what about helping out the vendors helping somebody else out, you know, where you have, you have a program, you have a game, 
somebody else can at least make a living. They're not making the money you're making, millions of dollars or billions of dollars if you're the owners. And you just took a hit, you know, for two years because of COVID. You know, you couldn't have full capacity. You you had a shortened season. And now it's like we're back at it again with baseball. It's just I, I don't it's like unfathomable. I really am shocked that they haven't come they've already delayed the spring training games. I did not think it was gonna to get to this far. I, I really did not. And I was like, all right. You know, it's the off season. They're going to work a couple of kinks out. They're upset about this. They're upset about that. But eventually things will progress and they'll make sure everything gets started and wrong at the right time. I guess I, I was being a little too optimistic, but because today when I saw the news, I was like, that's already bad that you're, you're starting, you're not starting spring training, which is disappointing because it's just like you said, uh, Aaron, you know, the vendors get a chance, the fans get a chance to see the players. Because um, during the season, you talked about the fans. You know, we'll take the Yankees, for example. If you do not come to spring training and you're a fan and you're trying to meet a player or get an autograph, it is much more difficult to do it at Yankee Stadium. I've heard that where you are and where the fans are, they built that stadium basically to keep you way away from the players. And not that you can't get next to a player. You, If you know somebody or VIP, there's always exceptions to every rule. But it's not really meant to be fan-friendly. They don't. They didn't build Yankee Stadium for that. So that's what spring training is for. And it's very disappointing. It really is. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's uh, words that I'll be able to use on this program, pathetic. Uh, that's really as far as I can, can go without uh, – getting in trouble <laughs> um, you know and I, I had I had hoped because you know the first games were going to actually be next weekend a week from uh, week from either tomorrow or Sunday would have been the first uh, first games of the spring schedule I had a couple that I was plan- potentially planning to, to look at maybe getting tickets for and now I've got a you know at least a week back and it's just disappointing because here's what happened you know it's been 20 almost 28 years ago now since the strike occurred in 94. And what really saved baseball back then was, and I've heard this up a couple of times before too, what saved baseball back then was Cal Ripken and the streak that happened his, uh, basically the same year that the strike ended. And then about three, four years later was the home run chase. The, the you know, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, King Griffey Jr. Uh, battle to break the all-time home run record. You know, we're not going to see something like that come back again. We're not going to see a, a great race of those proportions to be able to save the game like it happened the last time around. Because here's what de- here's what's definitely changed since uh, since 2000 or since 94, 98. That span of time, contracts have gotten a lot larger. Obviously, the the amount that guys are getting paid. You know, Barry Bonds when he signed that deal with the Pirates between the 92 and 93 season. It was a six-year or a seven-year, $42 million contract. So it's either six or $7 million a year, depending on what the length was. You think about $7 million a year back then was considered a lot of money. And not that it's not a lot of money now to you and I, of course, or to any, anyone listening to our show, of course. I, we'd all be happy <laughs> with that. <laughs> but in the, in the realm of sports, you've got guys who are warming the bench as a backup player that are making that kind of money now. So – the game has changed in terms of the economics. Contracts are a lot longer now. 
You know, you get guys who are signing 10 and 12 year contracts. And I think the game has turned itself off to a lot of people because of that kind of stuff. So if you have a, a work stoppage, like you mentioned before, and we lose a chunk of the season, whether it's 20% or 25% of the year, I mentioned this a couple weeks back, the fringe fans that, you know, watch the game of baseball because they had nothing else they really wanted to do during the summer because it's a summer sport, of course, they're going to tune it out. And it, they're not going to come back, unfortunately. It, it's going to be – they'll find something else to, to entertain their time, um, you know, during the months of May, June, and, and even in, uh, into July. They might turn it on for a little bit, but it won't be the same. And here's the thing. The owners, they, I think that they – and I'm speaking to all 30 teams, all, all 30 owners. This could be, you know, locally here in Tampa, could be up in Detroit, could be out in L.A. Owners need to listen to the fans here on this. I agree. I they totally agree. They, they don't care about us as the fans. And here's, here's the honest truth. They think that the fans, you and I and, and the rest of the people who are listening to our show, are short attention span people who are dumb and are just going to come back as soon as the game returns. And I think that they're, they're, they're really – they're putting all their eggs in that basket, and I don't think that basket's going to hold them. Um, it, really, it really angers me. I wish we could get all these, these uh, owners in a room and say, look, you know, let us be the ones who determine what happens instead of the guys who make billions of dollars and the guys who make millions of dollars bickering with each other. It's just it's, – it's too much. I agree. I agree to, you know, wholeheartedly. And and, the, and that's the thing. You're exactly right. The owners and think, you know, everybody's dumb because, you know, I have the billions of dollars and you don't. That means that I'm smart and you're not. You're clamoring by the TV waiting for us to come back because you have nothing else going on in your life. And that's what the owners think. You know, and like you said, because we're dumb, we will come back. But that's not the case. When you give people an opportunity to find substitutes, People will find substitutes and they will find other ways to occupy your time. And then guess what? When they find something else to do and they're enjoying it, they're not going to be so quick to come back. And that's how it works. That's how you lose fans. That's how you lose a customer. Let's say you have a business, you don't treat the customer right, and they feel like they're not appreciated. They'll say, hey, let me go down to this guy down the block, see what he has to offer. They go down to the guy down the block. They find out this person treats them so much better. They start realizing, why did he even go to the other guy to begin with? You know, same thing happens with entertainment. It's just, it's just unbelievable. You know, you have Juan Soto. He rejected a $350 million extension. You have guys making millions and millions of dollars. Like you said, the contracts are, are so big now. You know, A-Rod broke the $300 million barrier that was over what 10 years ago so it's like when is enough enough how much money do you need you know you have the opportunity you you playing a great sport to have fun it's just no appreciation it's just how much money can i get from this person how much money can i get from you everybody is just so greedy and it just gets sickening like okay like when is enough enough it's just like you said, it's just re really, truly pathetic. It really is. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, and unfortunately, they're not going to listen to, to, you know, anybody. They're not going to listen to reason. Like, like you said before, they're, they've made their mind up. And I think that this is going to be a, something that unfortunately may go on for a while. 
we may miss spring training altogether. Um, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some sort of a, a, a brief schedule that, that goes on, but uh, you know, it's just really disheartening. And unfortunately um, we've got to be the ones to put up with it. And, you know, uh, all these changes that they're doing, they needed to work this stuff out a while ago. Really, they could have worked a lot of this stuff out almost two years ago when the pandemic delayed the season until August. Uh, a lot of this stuff could have been at least uh, discussed back then when those uh, negotiations were going on. But, of course, now they wait so that it, it impacts we the fans. Now, I will say this. I was speaking with somebody earlier tonight, um, and uh, college baseball just started here in the last couple of days. And there's a lot of excitement around college baseball. If anybody's ever been to a college ball game before, uh, whether it's a smaller school like uh, where I'm at, Florida Southern here in Lakeland, or if you go to a bigger school like, uh, you know, uh, Vanderbilt, which is up in Nashville, Florida, here in, uh, here in Gainesville or in the Gainesville area, um, that may be what we have to watch for a while is, you know, guys that are playing at the collegiate level that aren't, aren't getting paid, at least not the way that the, the stars of the big leagues are. That may be our entertainment for a while. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, find something else. And and that's probably what it's going to be because the appreciation, that's what it is when, when guys and even girls, when they get a bunch of money, it's like they just want more money and they don't appreciate what they have. You know, uh, one of the pastors told me, he's from Africa, that he gave, he provided some potatoes to the kids in the neighborhood and they acted as if he gave them gold because that's the appreciation level. And that's the thing, you know, we need to start appreciating the people who are not making the millions of dollars sometimes. So the guys who are making the millions of dollars can understand that. And I just think, yeah, it's a summertime, spend more time with your family, go outside, maybe go to the park. But it, it seemed like I'm hoping that this ends soon, but it doesn't look really good. And, especially not good when egos start to get involved and those things start to, like you said, they, they lock in with an idea in the head. They're not going to listen to reason. You can have the greatest plan when somebody already locks off something in their mind. They're not going to listen to reason. They're just not going to listen to reason. And you can say whatever you can have the best plan in the world. It really doesn't matter because they're not listening anyway. That's the unfortunate fact about it. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it would serve uh, baseball right if a lot of people didn't show up to the games when they do start this year. You know, the the biggest thing that I think the fans can do, and whether the fans want to do this or not is up to them, don't show up for the games. And here's here's how this will hurt the owners. You know, you go to any, any major league baseball game, whether it's in a spring training facility or uh, any minor league facilities or, of course, at the big parks, Tropicana Field, Truist Park, Marlins Park down in Miami, um, Bush Stadium in St. Louis, even Yankee Stadium in New York. What do you see all over the fence? What do you see plastered all over the ballpark? Sponsors, you know, insurance companies, cola companies, beer companies. So here's what's going to happen. Fans don't show up. Those places are going to pull their sponsorships. So the money, the money is going to dry up if, if this continues on. And you won't see – these sponsors putting their hundreds of millions of dollars on these uh, scoreboards and on these fences and on the, the different areas of the ballpark. 
And the, the, the owners need to get this through their skull right now because if they don't, they're going to lose a lot more than just fans. They're going to lose all the money to what they think they have. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when it comes to sponsors, nobody has money to just throw away. No one's just going to pay millions of dollars to put their name on a stadium or in the background, and no one's going to go and see it. I mean, that's advertising dollars. You have a budget for it, and you need to have those dollars bring in some dividends. Nobody's looking at the, the scoreboard. No one's looking at the your sign in the outfield or in the newsletter or, or on the ticket stub. It's just it's just a, a waste of your money. So that's it's a trickle down effect. And when you lose million dollar sponsors or big time sponsors, that's it. They're not they usually don't come back. You know, they just need to get it through their head that let's make a deal. Like you have to give some. When you're making a deal in a negotiation, you have to bend a little to get some. You can't come into where I want it my way and that's it. You're gonna that's what a negotiation is. You give some, they give some, it's a give and take. That's what you got to understand with negotiation. You don't win the whole thing your way. You have to negotiate and you have to work with people. I just really hope that they uh, they they close this thing out and get baseball started because baseball does not need another black eye. It's got a lot of black eyes to begin with, black and blue marks, and they don't need any more. So I just really hope that they get this together and end this because – Let's let's see what uh the boys of summer. It hopefully doesn't take till summer to get things going. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's 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 crazy, but you know definitely uh, I, that's a shock that they've gotten this far without making a deal. But it, truth be told, baseball does these things, and I just hope that uh they would just get like you said, like a slap on the wrist and a wake-up call, and then they would kind of like say, this is the last thing we need to do is to have a work stoppage. But it seemed like they just keep – history just keeps repeating itself. Yeah, they, they haven't learned any lessons from past, uh, past uh, experiences, unfortunately. But, you know, the good thing is is we can uh, move on here tonight and talk about, uh, as we kind of talked about here with Lou at the very top of the show, um, the great Super Bowl we just had uh, didn't end up with the result that you and I both had hoped for and wanted, but I thought it was a relatively a very competitive game pretty much all the way through. I thought so, too. I, I really felt as if it was a competitive game, and I really felt as if the Bengals really should have won this game. I really do believe that. I just think that they, for one, they did not get any points really past halftime and I felt like that was going to come back to haunt them they got they stalled out on about four or five drives in the second half and I felt like even with that they still had a chance to win the game we did both predict the Bengals and then the last drive it just seemed as if that play where Joe Burrow kind of killed a down and did not and kind of played for the home run instead of getting the first down really, really hurt them. It's it's almost like they did not have a two-minute drive drill in place. If Tom Brady's back there, they are at the minimum getting a field goal, if not winning the game, because they had plenty of time, a minute 20 with two timeouts. It's plenty of time to get either in the end zone or at least a field goal at the very minimum 
that's actually a lot of time. If Tom Brady is back there, they actually win the game, the Bengals. But it was a very competitive game, very close. But it did not work out the way we did. It is a learning experience for the Bengals. But I, I looked at it as a, as Eminem said in the halftime, if you had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, <laughs> I felt as if the, the Bengals let it slip. What are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I, I really felt like, um, you know, it seemed like that last drive, the one where they ended up turning the ball over on downs, they just – they seemed like they had, uh, you know, a sense of urgency until the very last play on fourth and short. And it was almost like they thought it was third down or something. You know, they didn't really put themselves in a great position to be able to continue the game on. And And, and then – what I thought was so strange, that kind of sidearm pass that Burrow threw, it almost looked like it was catchable. Yeah, maybe the camera angle was a little different than what was actually there on the field. But um, I really feel, too, and, and, you know, you can go both ways on this, I suppose, that there were not a lot of penalties called early in the game, especially on, um, you know, pass interference type of calls. There was some stuff. I know the big one that everybody's going to talk about is the the, the big pass that Burrow completed down the field and uh, the receiver pulled the face mask of the defender uh, there. That doesn't get called most of the time anyways. So I think that that's one where, because it was so obvious, everybody was talking about it. What I really felt like, though, was, again, game is in L.A. It's the Rams playing the game. I really felt like the NFL was almost doing what it could to help the Rams late in the game, especially on those last couple of pass interference calls inside the red zone. Uh, that, that, that to me kind of stood out as kind of like, this doesn't seem right. So, um, but it is what it is. And again, the Bengals had every chance to right at the end of the game to drive down the field and at least tie the game and maybe send it into overtime for only the second time in Super Bowl history. And they came up a little bit short, great team though. And hopefully, you know, this is my thought for, for Joe Burrow. Hopefully he is not Dan Marino point oh Dan Marino was in a Super Bowl in his second year and lost and everybody said ah oh, he's Dan Marino he'll be there again in a couple of years and he never got back hopefully that's not the same thing repeating itself for Joe Burrow yeah I hope not too he is he's got a lot of talent he's going to get better this was definitely a you know a hurting on him and the whole team I I do agree with you I do feel as if the Rams did get a home time victory meaning I felt as if the refs did their part, I'll say it like this, to make sure they put the Rams in the best position to win this game. I did feel as if the league kind of did want the Rams to win this game. It's in L.A. You had a lot of celebs there. You had a lot of people with money. I mean, you had the Rock. Everybody in there, pretty much as far as the celebs are concerned, 98% of them were there for the Rams. So, I felt as if they wanted to get the Rams to win this game. Like you said, to your point, they didn't call those type of calls until the very last minute, usually minute and a half, two minutes of the game. It went pretty much flag-free. All of a sudden, you had flags. I didn't think that play was a holding call, the one in the end zone by the one-yard line. And, yes, the Bengals, I would agree. They did get the short end of the stick with the calls, but I do feel even at the end of the day, you cannot use those calls as an excuse. You should have won this game. It shouldn't have came down to that close. All you had to do was get one or two more scores, 
after halftime, you really had kind of control on the defensive end of the ball, especially the running game. I felt as if you should have won this game. Another thing that I would have to say on the Bengals that was a knock on them is you knew the ball was going to go to Cooper Cup. Why are you just singling him up? I, I, like you did a beautiful job in the first half. Second half, you really kind of like let him do his thing. You, you didn't double him up in the last five minutes of the game. You kind of let him get free. He did his thing and he hurt you. And on top of that, that last, you still had a chance to win the game on that last drive. It was a poor execution. You should have played for the first down, not for the long pass down the field. And this is a situation where a systematic drive would have helped you. You had plenty of time to get a field goal. You were almost at the 40-yard line. So, yes, I do think they did get some home-time calls. But at the same token, the Bengals, you blew an opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think a little bit of that had to do with the inexperience. They're a very young team. Um, Rams, I mean, look, uh, Matthew Stafford, he wasn't with the Rams before this year, but he's been in the league since 2009. And so he's, you know, an experienced quarterback. And you've got a Rams team for the most part. A lot of these guys were, at least on the defensive side, with this team a couple of years ago uh, when they were in the Super Bowl, um, like Aaron Donald, uh, 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 Aaron Donald, rather. Um, so they've, they've got a, a experienced team. We'll see if they're back again next year. I mean, look, the Rams were a team that, funny enough, coming into the year, really didn't think that much of, uh, you know, in that division. You, everybody thought about Seattle. Um, obviously, the, uh, the Cardinals for a while were, you know, right at the top there, and they kind of fell apart. And then Rams kind of did what the Bucks did last year, not only winning the Super Bowl at home, but kind of, kind of came in and were kind of under the radar. They were kind of a stealth team once the playoffs started. And, you know, that was really when they really started playing their best football was, you know, right at the end of the regular season. And then, of course, when the playoffs began. Yeah, they did. They they mirrored to me the Rams are very much similar to what the Bucks were last year. They were very good defensively, and they got hot towards the later part of the year. This is really what you want to do. And I, I really did feel as if if the Bucks did beat the Rams, the Bucks would have won the Super Bowl. Because I do feel as if they would have actually beat the Bengals. But I do feel as if the Rams reminded me a lot of the Bucks. And I've been saying it throughout this year, plenty of times on our show, that the Rams did have a goal to, to copy. The NFL is a, is a copycat league. They had a goal to copy what the Bucks did. They knew that they're they were going to play at home if they got there and they wanted to repeat what the Bucks did to host Super Bowl, play the Super Bowl, and win it. And then, lo and behold, they reached their goal. And, you know, you got you to tip your hat. The, Bengal, uh, the Rams did their, they did their part. They got their goal, and they achieved it. My question to you, Aaron, would be, uh, I know that you're not a big fan of the celebs. It's kind of like a cliche for you. What did you think of all the celebs at the <laughs> that's at the Super Bowl? Well, I mean, the Super Bowl is a corporate event and a, and a popularity event as it is anyway. So whether the Super Bowl is in L.A. like it was this year or in years past in Tampa, last year would have been a little bit of an exception because of the COVID stuff going on. But, you know, in, in Miami or in Detroit, or I know it was in New York several years ago, you've already got a lot of, 
you know, very famous people showing up uh, to the event. And I, I even go back to the year that actually was the last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl. It was in Miami. It was Joe Montana's third Super Bowl win. And, you know, there's a story that goes that last drive that he led the 49ers down the field to the game-winning touchdown to kind of keep the team calm. He pointed up into the stands and said, hey, look, there's, uh, there's John Candy. Um, you know, obviously movie stars and stuff showing up. So in L.A., you know, Hollywood, if you will, even more famous people are going to show up just because it's right in their own backyard. So, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I just it, it seems like sometimes that stuff uh, almost uh, overshadows the game itself rather than the game overshadowing the people who are there. Yeah, it, it sometimes can, but I, I felt as if this, this game was very competitive. It was a very enjoyable game. If it was a blowout, then I think that may have – they would have probably went to who's in the stands, who's 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 in the, the luxury box. But I felt like the game was so good. The halftime performance was excellent that people still were, were reminded this is a football game. And, yeah, I don't have a problem with the sleds thing. They bring attention to the game, and it, it's really cool to see them. You want – you, you kind of guess if – there's some celebs that you know are going to be there. I, I knew that Jayla was going to find a way to be there. <laughs> she was there with Ben. Your your good buddy A-Rod was there. <laughs> but the thing about A-Rod was he was up in the bleachers. She was in a much better seat with Ben. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so you kind of <laughs> get a laugh like that. Like, you know, where they're sitting at. LeBron was there. You knew he was going to be there. Kevin Hart. The whole gang was there. A lot of other athletes were there. I enjoy that stuff. I think it's cool. You know, at the end of the day, it just it just goes to show you, not in all celebs, but a good majority of the celebs are fans too. So when you have things like the baseball lockout, things like that, you deprive a celeb by coming by, enjoying a game. So at the end of the day, they're fans too. They can't help the fact that they do something like maybe act for a living. And they're really good at it. And the cool thing about this Super Bowl thing, it seemed like the sleds were very laid back. Somebody, I saw a little video where where LeBron was at, apparently where L.A. Stadium is, even when you're in a sweet box, you uh, another section right below you can actually talk to you. It's very accessible. And he did a FaceTime with his mom, and he was asking LeBron to say hi to his mom on the FaceTime with his phone. And LeBron obliged him, and he did it. You know, so I thought it was really cool. So, you know, that's enjoyment. It's entertainment. At the end of the day, it's entertainment. I love running to slebs. I think it's really cool. I have no problem with the slebs. I knew they were to come, come off through. It's L.A. It's right in their backyard, as you mentioned. And it is a popularity contest. So if you don't show up, people are not talking about you. you got to stay relevant. So here's a perfect example. And I wanted to say one thing, too. You know what? Big problem because The Rock, I follow The Rock. He said it was a dream of his to be on the field during the Super Bowl. It wasn't something that just came about just right away. He had a dream of doing this for many, many years. He was nervous about it, but he, he went ahead and did the intro. And I got to give Rock a lot of credit because he, he fulfilled his lifelong dream. So prop to The Rock for getting his dream done. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely 
something he really – you could tell he enjoyed his time out there on the field uh, at the very beginning of the game for sure. Absolutely. That's right about that. And I did want to get your thoughts on this question. Somebody had asked me this question during the week, and we had a big discussion about it, but I wanted to get your opinion on it. Here in Tampa Bay, now that Tom Brady's allegedly retired, which we'll talk about a bit later, the question is his replacement. It is saying that Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson could potentially very highly probability coming here to Tampa Bay. What are your thoughts on Deshaun Watson and or Russell coming to Tampa Bay? Well, I think just from a pure quarterback um, look at it, I think that you're probably better off with a guy who's going to be there long-term in Deshaun Watson. Um, however, all of the smoke that's around the stuff that kept him out of plan here in 2021, uh, that would be the thing that would concern me. You know, Tampa is a team that already had, uh, some issues with a past quarterback in uh, Jameis Winston and some things that had happened with him in the past. So that might be something to keep in mind. Now, if you're looking for a guy who's had the success, a guy who's been in the league, who's won a Super Bowl, he's a veteran quarterback, same way that Tom Brady is, then you could look at Russell Wilson and say, that'd be a great fit in Tampa for sure. I mean, he, he, he would be – I don't think the Bucks would really miss a beat, honestly, if they, if they brought him in. And I'm not saying that Russell Wilson is – Tom Brady, that's certainly not a comparison I'm willing to make, but someone who's won and has been a consistent winner throughout his 10 or so year NFL career, I think that'd be a, a better fit personally because this is a veteran team. The Bucks are a team that you, know, you look at their window of opportunity to win probably is the next two years, and after that they're probably going to be going through kind of a rebuild phase. So if they're going to continue with the other core of players they have right now, somebody of Russell Wilson's caliber, again, who has that past history of winning, um, has been at a high level pretty much his entire career, that to me is the guy that I'd go after. Yeah, I agree. I, I pretty much said a lot of the same. I said, well, Deshaun Watson does have talent. He is very gifted. He can pass. He can run. And he's a very good player. But I do worry about some of the stuff that mirrors – a lot of Jameis Winston, a lot of the off-the-field stuff, that immaturity off the field. This case is not over yet that he's dealing with. And here in Tampa Bay, you have a lot of attractive women here. You can run into those type of situations again here. And being that we are from Tampa Bay here, the area, having that situation come up with, you know, with Jameis, it was kind of tiring. You know, you – it's nice and a nice relief, a nice break to have a guy who's a veteran guy who doesn't have to kind of win you over. He already, you already kind of won over by who they are, who could just step in, stay, stay the course, keep all those distractions off the field, and play the game. And my vote would be Russell Wilson. Now, I do know that Deshaun Watson's probably going to give him a really deep bargain basement deal, being that he had trouble, he didn't play this year. And he wants to get back into the league. So I know financially it's going to be a much better bet for Deshaun Watson versus Russell. But I like, I would love Russell, like you said, to your point. He would fit in really good with this veteran team. He He's mobile. He can break free. You know, he is no Tom Brady, but he can't throw the ball. And he can at least get away from a, a rush. So, and he will definitely be 
a guy who I feel won't give you the issues off the field, a high-character guy. I like Russell Wilson coming in here, doing his thing. But, yes, I would say because of the immaturity and things of that nature, I would be very skeptical of Deshaun Watson coming in to play for Tampa Bay. But I think his price is going to be so attractive, his deal is going to be so attractive, I just think that the Glazer family might sign the deal to go ahead and get him. Yeah, time will tell. I think we're going to see a very interesting offseason with, uh, with the quarterback stuff. We're only about – this might overshadow the, the whole baseball thing for a while. Um, uh, you know, we're only about two, three weeks away from NFL free agency getting started. I want to say it's like March 8th, if I'm not mistaken. So we're, we're very close. It'll be uh, a lot of fun to see, you know, how, uh, how things go. I think there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks moving around because – when you with two big pieces like Tom Brady and like Ben Roethlisberger and those guys retire and they leave the league places like Tampa, obviously, and probably even more so Pittsburgh because Roethlisberger was there for 18 years, you've got a huge hole to fill. And so there's going to be a, a, a premium on quarterbacks. And obviously, you know, the whole Aaron Rodgers thing is going to happen. I think that's going to happen relatively quick. And latest word on that, by the way, that I'm hearing is, Green Bay is willing to go all in to make him the highest bid quarterback in the league and give him the extension that he's been looking for. So we'll see, you know, what happens there. It'll be, uh, be an interesting thing over the next uh, three, four weeks. Which is a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. If you were the Packers, do you go ahead and bring him back? I do at this point. Um, I look at it this way. You, you kind of like I talked about with Tampa, you, you've got a window uh, of time. The, the core of that team is not going to be there in five years. And so, yeah, you might still have Jordan Love. Who, who knows if he's the future or not? Obviously, time will make that determination. But you've got a, a good enough group there now that you can win with what you have. And so if you can win a Super Bowl in the next two or three years, you bring them back, pieces out there. Really, the biggest thing that the Packers struggled in in 2021 – with special teams. Their field goal kicking was awful. Their punting was mediocre. And just situational play, especially key moments of the game, really hurt them. And they just hired uh, one, of the, one of the best special teams coaches in the NFL. Um, from uh, from the, the Raiders, of course, he was their interim coach uh, through most of this past season. So I think that, you know, any smart team, who has a great year and maybe comes up a little bit short, typically what they're going to do is they're going to look back and say, well, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? And they're going to try to fix the things they did wrong. And I think at least uh, Green Bay is heading in the right direction on that, uh, on that aspect of things. Now it's getting the players and the personnel to put on the field to try and get everything going in the right way again. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I didn't look at it that way. I, I just was like saying, hey, you know, he, you, he's held you hostage for the last year or two now. Yes, it's great that he is getting MVPs, but you guys are not getting rings. And I would rather have a ring than four MVPs. That's just me. I just think getting a ring is just really cool. You get a chance to celebrate with the whole team, the whole city, and you will always be a Super Bowl champion. Not, And he does have a ring. He does have a Super Bowl. But, you know, if, if you're not going to get that Lombardi trophy at the end of the year – that's what you're playing for. And I do think, believe it or not, I do think Green Bay would have probably beat the Bengals too. <laughs> I just think, 
you know, it it's just uh, but the way that you made it sound like they only have a window of opportunity, yeah. I mean, you might as well just at this point go all in because you have a you have a star team right now. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, it's just like Tampa, you know, they they to me the Bucks at this point, you know, you're probably looking at two or three years uh, before their core of players starts to kind of dissolve. We saw this happen in the '90s, eventually with uh, the 49ers, with the Cowboys, and you know several other teams that were you know, fairly good back then. The, the Buffalo Bills in the early 90s would be another uh, team to mention there as well. Go all in. Uh, what, what do you got to lose at this point? You know, you're going to probably go through a, a lull where for a couple seasons you struggle. And, you know, you never know how long it'll take to get back. Look, look at somebody like uh, like the Giants right now. You know, they won a Super Bowl nine, ten years ago, and they haven't really been a good team since. So you got to go all in when you have the opportunity, you know, put all your cards or all your chips to the middle of the table. And I think that if I'm betting on somebody, I'm going to bet on the guy who's done it before rather than the guy who projects to possibly be the same type of player. It just seems like a a safer bet and a potential better outcome. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And, and you're right. The, the bucks if are right up against it too, because, you know, with them now have a situation where they got to deal with getting another quarterback, you got to try to win within a year or two because, like you said, those guys, the Shaq Barretts, the Pierre Pauls, those guys are not going to be around forever. you got about another year or two, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tampa, Tampa, their run might be over in a year. So, you know, picking the right guy to be the next quarterback there is, you know, really a huge um, – a huge thing, and I, I don't think anything can go wrong with either one of those two guys. I just feel like the safer thing would be for me in, in Tampa, you know, if you go out and you pick up Deshaun Watson and two or three weeks into the season, some more of this stuff that's happened in the last couple of years resurfaces or more charges come out or what have you, then you might not have a quarterback. And that really disrupts the rhythm of the team. And, you know, we look at, I look at it this way um, – you know, uh, Bruce Arians is probably not going to be there much longer. This is his third or fourth year there now. When his contract runs out, it's a five-year contract. When it runs out, he's probably not going to be signing a new deal. At his age, he's finally won a Super Bowl. You know, he's getting close to 70. I I can't see him coaching very much longer as well. Yeah, I agree. I I don't see Bruce um, getting renewed another contract. I mean, might get a one-year deal or what have you, but – I wouldn't bank on that. I agree with you. And, you know, with him in a situation where he's not going to have a winner, I don't see that even less lightly. So, yeah, I I don't think Bruce is is going to come back. And I think there's more of a chance that Tom Brady will will come back. You know, now that things have coming up to fruition about Tom and he's still watching what's going on in the Super Bowl, do you think, Aaron, that Tom – makes a comeback I don't think so I think that he made a pretty firm commitment that he's done um I think it's one of those things where you know to have the speculation is certainly you know hey am I going to do actually is this going to continue am I going to go follow through with this I get that side of things uh to some degree but I think that to to shut it down and to be done and say you're done and then to later on 
potentially ramp things back up again. I don't think he would have made this decision this quickly after the season ended or after his team season ended like he did if he wasn't serious about it. Um, you know, if, if he really wanted to mull it over, he could have waited a month or six weeks and, and waited till around the time of free agency starting. That would have been kind of the thing to do. But the fact that he did it so quickly, I mean, l- less than 10 days after the Buck season was over, that to me spells this is over and done. And I think he's saying, you know, I'm never going to say, you know, that I never would do something. Um, that's just the, the Tom Brady character coming out. But I ultimately, if I was betting, I would say he's done. He's, he's not coming back. And, you know, here's the thing. And this is being said about him the last two or three years he was in uh, New England, too. Um, yeah, he is still in physical great shape. I mean, for 44, 45, I mean, good grief. I, I'd love to be in the shape he's in at some point in my life myself. But um, he's lost some of his velocity on his, you know, his, his being able to throw the ball as far down the field as he used to be able to do. He doesn't have the deep ball uh, like he did, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So those are things that I think he wants to take into consideration. And, look, we've seen other athletes uh, that have stuck around one or two years longer than they should have. And while somebody like Brady who played 20-plus years in the league, we're going to look back at him and say, good grief, he went went to 10 Super Bowls and won seven of them. But then there's that one year at the end where he looked like a, you know, terrible player. I don't think he wants that about his legacy. I don't think he wants that to be anything that anybody ever talks about. So I think the perfect setting would have been he wins another Super Bowl in Tampa in 2021 and rides off into the sunset. Really, in all honesty, probably should have retired after this past year when they won. But, you know, Tampa had a really great setup and obviously um, great place for him to play. It's a warmer climate. He's not getting – you know, bombarded with snow like he was in New England for 20 years. But I, I would say at the end of the day, if I was betting, I think he's done for sure. Yeah, I would have to say, I think, I would have to say it's a 50-50 shot. I, I, I wouldn't say it's 50-50. I wouldn't say he's going to come back, and he, I wouldn't say he wouldn't come back. It just, you know, he's he's doing all the things that a guy who still has the urge to play is doing. I, I really would have thought, with Tom Brady being a guy that's very calculated guy that, you know, doesn't make rash decisions. I was a little surprised at the timing of the announcement to retire more than anything, you know, more than him actually retiring. I was surprised that he made the decision pretty quickly after the last game. And it was really not a decision he needed to make so quickly. He could have molded over. He could have waited till after the Super Bowl, let the season kind of ride out. And then at that point, make a decision because then you have to start thinking about OTAs and, you know, getting back into it. But once the season's over, you have a good month in that between that time for you to really make a sound decision without any rush, without making an emotional decision. I felt like him retiring less than within 10 days of the season ending, I thought was a bit of a rush decision, maybe even a emotional decision, in fact. But, you know, the fact that he was watching the Super Bowl, he's even tweeted to um, Matthew Stafford, you know, mixing the water because of uh, him drinking so heavily during a parade. <laughs> he, he tweeted, mixing the water, Matt. Make sure you do that because of what happened to Brady when he got bombed and toasted 
you know, he, he was obviously in tune and watching even the parade, which is something he didn't really have to watch. You know who, who won the Super Bowl is pretty, you know what I mean? So he was – the fact that he watched the parade to me showed that he was watching everything else. And he was into tune, which means that, you know, he still has the feelings for it. And I would say it's 50-50 at this point. I don't know if he'll come back this year, but I think within – if not this year, probably more than likely next year. I don't know if he'll play for the Bucks, but I think if a great situation came up in the San Francisco and he got a chance to be the quarterback and they had a really solid team, I think even if the 49ers offered him a great deal and he was going to be a starting quarterback with that team, yeah, I think he would probably take it. And I, I do think it's, it's not over yet. It's 50-50. If the right opportunity comes along – I feel as if there's a good potential to come out of retirement. So I think he still has the itch to play. And I, I think that's the biggest thing right there. So I would say it's 50, 50, my vote is 50, 50. Interesting. Yeah. We'll see what happens. It's going to be uh, intriguing to see and maybe a couple opportunities come his way that he may or may not be able to say no to. Uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. So, uh, last couple of things I wanted to talk about here tonight. I know uh, we're on the doorstep of uh, the NCAA tournament. So getting kicked off here, uh, March Madness. Obviously, the last couple of years have been disappointing because we didn't have March Madness in 2020. Um, last year was a little bit different because we were still in the midst of the, the COVID era, so to speak. Um, and now we're going into what will be the final March Madness for uh, for Coach K, 40-plus years at Duke as a head basketball coach. And just like for the last 40, 42 years or so, you know, the sun rises in the morning on the east and uh, sets in the west, Coach K has always been somebody that uh, you've talked about in the sports world. Um, what are your thoughts on – I know we talked about this a year or so ago when he announced that this would be his last year. What are your thoughts as we approach the final – uh, March Madness with him at Duke. Wow. It, it is such an amazing career Coach K has had, a legacy, and to do anything for 40 years, something like coaching, which is demanding on you hours and physically, it's just, wow, it's just, it's unfathomable. He's a true legend. I mean, with the Duke, he always had his way of producing great teams they didn't always won he won a lot of championships they're going to be wrong but he always had a highly competitive team and anytime i think of coach k i, I gotta think about that christian leitner play and <laughs> yeah <laughs> that i comes remember where i was when that happened yeah that that play comes to mind and not only does that play come into mind that team comes to mind because they were playing the fab five and if you go by talent alone, man, the Fab Five had three times the amount of talent than what Duke had. But Duke, that's where coaching comes into play. They played, Duke played disciplined, smart basketball, fundamentally sound basketball using their, you know, basketball IQ. And that's how they beat the Fab Five, not on talent. They beat it on coaching and using it the their head. And that just shows you what Coach K can do as a coach. 
He could beat a team that was as glamorous as Fab Five. And I was rooting for Fab Five. I was like, man, this Fab Five, they, they had something different. They had the swagger. They had the baggy jeans. They were the anti-Duke. You had these preppy boys versus the Fab Five. I was rooting for Fab Five to do it. I really was. And, you know, Coach K and his, his Christian Leitner said, no. And they just they did their thing and won. You got to tip your hat. But man, that was that was some series. And Coach K, he is an ultimate legend. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the, the Christian Leitner game. Um, I tell you what, hard to believe that here in just a few weeks, that'll have been thirty years ago since that happened. And you know, some of the great players he, he had great players on that team. I mean, you look at Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, as you mentioned before, you had Bobby Hurley. Um this is a really talented group and thing I've always admired about him is his consistency for, for two reasons. Consistency to stay at one place for as long as he did, 40, 42 years roughly. Um, had some rough seasons in there too, of course. You're going to have some, some failures along the way in that long of a period of time. But for the most part, almost every year had a talented, competitive team. And the thing I think I admire probably more than anything else about him is very level-headed. But also, he had plenty of opportunities to go to the NBA. I know that the Lakers courted him uh, multiple times over the years to come coach in uh, in the NBA in Los Angeles. And it would have been a great place for him to coach, I'm sure, because all the talent they've always had, everybody wants to be a Laker, so to speak. So, you know, for him to be able to have the wherewithal to say, look, I, I, I appreciate that, you know, you're considering me and I'm flattered that you think of me as a great coach but I've got a great thing going on here at Duke and for 42 years at one program I mean you think about guys who spent a long time in one place in the coaching profession you know Bill Belichick's been at New England for 22 years that's half the time that uh that Coach K has been at Duke um you think about other people who spent a long time uh, names that come to mind Bobby Bowden was at Florida State for over 30 years you had Joe Paterno 37 or 38 years at Penn State um, guys that were very successful, but they they were dedicated to where they worked, and you know that that's something that I've always respected about him. And again, the the type of players that Coach K also coached too were typically not every single case, but typically guys that were were um, I think he kind of rubbed off on them uh, to be respectable people. Now that doesn't say that there weren't guys that maybe made some mistakes along the way in their own personal lives, but I think that his personality kind of rubbed off on a lot of those players over that 40 year stretch. Yeah, absolutely. He, he wants guys who are really play the game hard, who are coachable and, you know, coach K he's really not into the flash. He's not into that at all. He wants guys who just, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> who could even, you could even wear those old school shorts for him. Those little mini shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he just wants, you know, just just a clean cut guy playing basketball. I mean, that's really what Coach K really wants. Who's coachable is the thing. I mean, I just I just look at it like the guys of Fab Five. Imagine if one of them decided, "Hey, I'm going to go to Duke." You know, it just <laughs> it would have been a culture shock. You know, it's just. He's not into that free spirit. He he runs a pretty tight ship. 
you know, he likes to have fun, but it's, you have to be pretty disciplined and clean cut and follow the, the fundamentals to what he wants. Meaning when he draws up a play, he expects you to execute that play just the way he planned it. He wants you to be in a certain spot. He wants you to take a certain shot. It's very, very detail-oriented when you're playing for Coach K. But you know what? The results are the results. The guy always has a very successful team. He knows basketball. Coach K is a guy that I would have to say, you know, one of the, the stigmas that basketball has, I didn't make up the stigma, but a lot of people, you know, behind the scenes have said, oh, it's not a smart sport, meaning anybody can pick up a basketball if you can run and dribble and shoot, you could be very successful at winning games at basketball. And that Coach K taught me that is not the case. Yes, you might be able to win a game here and there, but if you want to play elite winning basketball, you need There's to know strategy. the fundamentals. There's yeah. strategy to it. And he's There's the guy who taught me that. He's the one who I would have to say really brought that to the foresight. Yeah, and I think the the, um, the the college level of basketball is to me um, a lot more almost enjoyable to watch than the NBA level because I think what's happened, especially in the last maybe twenty or twenty five years in the NBA, I'd say in the post Jordan era, is it's become kind of what baseball has become in a sense. A lot of you know, it's it's a lot of the celebrity, the money, the the money talks, whereas these kids that are eighteen to twenty two. Uh, that are playing, you know, for their scholarships, guys that may not go on and play in the NBA, they're out there playing because they want to win and they are more coachable, kind of like you talked about before. And you don't have that ego a lot of times too. I think that sometimes makes a big difference. Um, I've I've always found that the, again, in the post-Jordan era, um, anybody who had the, the great fortune of being able to watch Jordan for all six of his NBA titles in the 90s, like myself and yourself, Obviously, you might feel a bit different about this, but um, I've really felt in the last 20 or 25 years that the college level of basketball is, to me, a little more exciting to watch than the NBA. Yeah, I mean, definitely back in that days in the 90s, it was exciting. It really was. I mean, man, you know, just to have those type of rivalries and <laughs> that's what made the Fab Five and Duke thing was so great was that you had the anti-preppy type of stigma versus the baggy jeans that were like way past their knees. Coach K wouldn't allow that, <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice to have, you know, that different type of stigma playing against each other. And, and that's the great thing about, like you mentioned to your point, having guys that are younger playing because the money hasn't, perverted them the money hasn't kind of got to their head the fame hasn't got to their head yet you know what i mean they're still very coachable they're young they just want to win not only that they they want to win their coach's affection they want the coach to love them and they want to love the coach they want to have a great relationship because that you know when you're a younger player you're just riding the bench you, or if your college coach is not saying something very fond of you that's almost like career suicide. I mean, not that you can't get drafted, but it puts you in a very difficult position to get a high draft pick. And you want to get along with the coach. The coach definitely has a lot more power. That's the great thing about collegiate sports is that the money 
and fame a lot of times has not gotten to the players in a, in that type of way. There's a lot of innocence still there, and that's the great thing about college basketball. When I was growing up, is is it's still there too nowadays. But I just loved how guy just wanted to win. Yeah, you know I agree 100. percent Yeah, so definitely it's it's great that um, Coach K is is you know I that's what I kind of thought Tom Brady was going to do, announce you know, probably about a month from now that, hey, guys, I'm going to play this last year. It's going to be my last year of the season. This is it. Like, pretty much, you know, may rest in peace. Kind of what Michael Jackson said when he was going to have that tour. Unfortunately, you know, he passed before the tour, but he did say that was the name of the tour. This is it. Because that was basically him saying this is the last tour I'm doing. And I kind of thought that's what Tom Brady was going to do say, this is it, guys. I'm going to play for this last year, win, lose, or whatever. It's my final year. I'm glad that Coach K gets it to kind of have this as his last send-off. He's earned it, true legend. And, man, I would love to meet Coach K and take a picture with him and have him come on our show. You know, it's great. And I did want to also mention, speaking of collegiate, many prayers and support definitely are going out to Dickie V. I know he just he's coming in and out of surgery. He was tweeting it a few times, giving his progress. We wish you the best of speedy recovery, Dickie V. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, great, one of the great people in sports, honestly. Um, very, very positive person. Um, and of course, uh, wishing him the best. I've been following his uh, progress and uh, the up to date stuff. Uh, he. He's on, uh, I follow him on Facebook, he's on there quite a bit, uh, multiple times a day, in fact, and it seems like things are going in the right direction right now, I know it's kind of a gray area time where they're kind of waiting for some results to come back in, but I know he just had, in the last couple of days, uh, vocal cord surgery, which unfortunately is going to keep him from being able to do any broadcast this year, but hopefully makes a speedy recovery, rests up well and we can hear him uh, again in 2022-23 for, uh, for the uh, NCAA uh, season. Yeah, definitely. Speedy recovery and best wishes to Dickie V. We're pulling for you here in the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. I, you know, you're right. He does go and post a lot on Facebook, and if you are interested in keeping up with him, Facebook or Twitter, I know that he did post up a couple of things on Twitter. I just came up, ironically, on the feed. And I did see it a few times. So definitely get well and well wishes to Dickie V. Absolutely. So uh, anything else here tonight, uh, Alan, that you care to add? Yeah, I did want to just uh, give my box prediction. There's a big fight between Kel Brook and Amir Khan. This one actually is going to be a, a tough fight just because uh, – Kell Brook is not the same Kell Brook he has been over the last few years. I still do think Kell Brook is going to win this fight, but it's going to be a very close fight. It's really going to be closer than it really should be because Amir Khan is known for having a glass jaw. <laughs> so I think that's going to rear his ugly head. So I got, I know that people wanted the prediction. I'm going to go Kell Brook winning this fight on a very close decision. And I think uh, decision or, or knockout, but I do think Kell Brook is going to win the fight. I did want to say that. And I did also want to say 
to the listening listeners out there, if you have kids that are young, anywhere between nine to, to 15, be leery and be careful of bullying. And the reason why I say that is because Charlie the Hammer, who's, you know, 14, going on 15, who's on our show, uh, you can see that interview during a Zoom call, Boxer, you know, he did mention to me, he even sent me a private message that a 12-year-old kid out in Utah did commit suicide because of bullying. He was only 12 years old. I looked into it, and, you know, he is correct. It did happen. Charlie is part of the fighting for bullying cause. And I just want you to just know that watch what your kids are saying to other kids because bullying is very serious. And when people lose their self-confidence, it could turn into something fatal. So check more into that interview with Charlie the Hammer. He's a definitely, I want to send my condolences to the family and the, the friends of the, the victim we won't say his uh, the 12-year-old boy's name on the ear, but definitely you can Google it and find more details. That's where I got the information. So may he rest in peace. And bullying is very serious. Do not do it. It can lead to some serious psychological problems and confidence issues. So watch your kids. Be leery of your kids being a victim and also be leery of them victimizing somebody else. So just be, pay attention to that. And I want to thank Charlie the Hammer for sending me a private message and bringing that to my attention. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a very serious uh, topic there for sure. So, um, well, and I want to thank you for uh, for tonight. This has been a great show here. I want to thank uh, our um, normal guest, Lou. Of course, he uh, uh, joins us uh, pretty frequently almost every single week, in fact, uh, on our show. We want to thank you for coming on and spending some time with us here again tonight. Uh, signing off here tonight for Lou and for Alan, this is Aaron, and hopefully everybody has a terrific week. Thank you for listening to the Evan and Aaron's Sports Talk Podcast. Subscribe and check out us on your favorite social media platform. Thank you. 